I'm really excited to announce our very first sponsor of Exponentially Empowered, which is the Drom dating app. I know the founder of this product personally. He is all about growth mindset and our message on this show to build a beautiful new world. And this app can contribute to that because most dating apps suck. They're basically fast food face swiping apps. It's not based on the inner world. It's not based on core values. And Drom changes all that where you can create deal breakers such as growth mindset or political philosophy or religion or how to raise children, any core values. You can match with someone anywhere in the world, not just in your geographic location, anywhere in the world in order to connect with someone with your core values. So what if you could say, only show me people with a growth mindset who want kids and want to unschool them. That sounds phenomenal. And the other thing is, it's only video-based. There's no pictures. There's no texts. It's only video profiles and video chats. So this is more human and reduces disappointment when you do meet in real life. Drom lets you design your perfect match. There are no experts in match percentages. You pick exactly what you want and you only get those matches. If you don't find a deal breaker or a deal maker that's important to you, you can add your own and everybody sees it once it's approved. Drom is totally free. It's on Apple and Android phones and tablets. If you want to install the app, go to drum.date slash empowered. Click the Apple or Android button. Use the invite code empowered to sign up. That's D-R-O-M dot D-A-T-E slash empowered. Use the invite code empowered. Get signed up, design, and create your perfect match. Hey, everyone. It's Joel, episode 68, Exponentially Empowered podcast. Hope you are feeling grounded today and giving yourself some grace and acceptance for any mistakes you've made so far today. Today's episode is perhaps the most your mind will be stretched so far in this podcast feed. My guest is Catherine Kent, and we really do share a vision for humanity where humans are living in peace and harmony and conscious at a higher stage of consciousness and actualization and integration. But Catherine or Kat, she's coming at this, I think the same mission from a different angle in terms of more of an intuitive feeling feminine type quality, if you will, as opposed to a philosophical um, exact masculine analytical lens. And obviously everyone incorporates both masculine and feminine in their, their, um, approach to life and being, but I think we're going to see more of that, that feeling intuitive side in this conversation. Um, and so we entertain, and I, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this is an uh, opportunity to entertain without accepting ideas, right? And that's really the juice of philosophy, in my opinion. Uh, to be so 
so curious that you will not reject anything immediately, right? And to ask yourself, what is she getting at? How could this be true? What if it were true for my life? Does she really mean that? Does she mean like, does the word she asserts actually match with what she means, right? Those are the questions I would invite you to ask. Um, anyway, I wanted to start with that and then, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into some territory, like new territory about, um, sort of psychic abilities, sort of what is the soul? Um, I'll, I'll let you find out in the podcast, but, um, have an open mind and a skeptical mind. And know that that there is so much value, and I can attest to having worked with Catherine one-on-one in what she's offering as um, a healing guide. I mean, she has a business working with clients and helping them integrate through sort of this energy work, through sort of this uh, parts work, inner child work, um, a lot of different modalities, and she has brought much value to to my journey since I've known her this year. Um, that hasn't been said. There's a, um, a f- couple of minutes towards the beginning of this conversation where I asked Kat if she can, if she can sense the back pain that I have, the, the neck and back pain that I'm having in that exact moment. And, she talks of, she says that she senses it on my right side and then I reveal that I'm sensing it more on my left side. And so there's, um, seemingly there's a contradiction there. Maybe there is maybe. And, um, I just want to mention that because, well, um, it could be the case that she was wrong in that moment, but I hope that that doesn't distort your ability to find value in the rest of the conversation and there are other stories and other moments that I revealed where she is spot on with my experience. Um, and so I just didn't want, just because that happens at the very beginning of the conversation, I didn't want that to necessarily affect your perception of, of Catherine as a whole. Go ahead and listen to this conversation full two hours. And, uh, yeah, this is one of the longest podcasts ever in in exponentially empowered history after last week's uh, one minute and 24 second episode. I believe it was one minute, and 24 seconds. Hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't go ahead and quickly listen. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm very grateful for your attention and engagement and interest. And feel free to send me a message with your feedback of a new email address, joelbein at hey.com, J-O-E-L-B-E-I-N at hey.com. And I uh, would love to hear from you. And again, just really grateful for you tuning in and wishing you 1%, uh, 1% progress in your journey today and every day so that you can continue to be exponentially empowered. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Here's Catherine. I'm here in person with Cat Kent, Catherine Kent, who is a beautiful soul, full of peace. And when you meet her, she emanates peace, and it is powerful energy. She has a vision for humanity that is full of peace. And she is a healer. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that is. But welcome, Kat. Thank you. My Um, pleasure. I'd say we have a common vision for humanity. Yeah, I think we do. I think we do. To see a world of harmony and respect for each individual person. So... You're a healer, and that word is almost has a connotation of something enigmatic or not clear, not clearly attached to reality even. But I think it's really, you're a feeler, you're an intuitive person, spiritual. We're going to dive into that, but I wanted to start with... Tell me some stories. Because you, you work with people one-on-one. You do. Helping them integrate whatever's inside of them. You worked with me. That was amazing. Multiple times. And you have some powerful stories of people healing really fast. So what comes to mind of uh, some, some stories of late with your clients, if that's cool? It is. So... One of the most common occurrences that I've had are people who have severe chronic neck or back pain, and then I'll come into contact with them, either in person or on Zoom, and as soon as I meet with them, and normally it's my first contact with them, sometimes it's friends like you or other people that I know, I feel it instantly in my body. So I'll get on the Zoom, and then it feels like a pinching, stabbing pain in the back of my neck. And I, as soon as I feel that, I hear a voice, which I assume is my spirit guide. Who knows? <laughs> um, and I ask, um, is this mine? And I get, no, it's theirs. And then I ask them, do you have neck pain? And they usually say yes. And then I know that I'm feeling it in my body because it's something that I can help heal. And then my spirit guides come in and they show me a vision of what I need to do in order to release that from the specific chakra that it's stored in. And I usually get a color that indicates which chakra it's stored in. So normally back of the neck or upper back pain is either throat or high heart chakra. So it'll be green or blue or pink. And then I know, based on what spirit guide comes in, how to do the healing, because I've been working with them for millions of years. So we have a very deep relationship where we know how to heal together. Okay, whoa. So I already (laughs) dive right into this territory. Uh, I was going to mention before we started that this podcast is an exploration of new ideas that most people listening might not be aware of or not even willing to entertain or skeptical about entertaining 
or definitely skeptical about accepting. And one of my favorite quotes is Aristotle who said, the mark of an educated mind is one who can entertain an idea without accepting it. Mm-hmm. So I let, I'd like to set the intention of, for the listener to listen to this podcast in that spirit. And I want to dive into some of the, the questions about what you've talked about, about seeing colors or spirit guides, or you've been doing this for millions of years. Mm-hmm. And let's all, as, as, uh, as podcast listeners, again, I invite you to entertain and get curious about what could be the truth about what's happening. And that maybe certain words are, are leading you in a certain direction and maybe you need to question the definition of those words. And there's a lot of territory to, to explore. But with that all being said, okay, so you're, you're feeling... The, the, the neck and back pain. Right. And so when someone works with you, do you find that they release that within one session? or Definitely. And... Okay, and then you mentioned the colors. Yeah. You see colors in your visual field or... Yeah. Like where? Uh, sometimes they're open-eyed and sometimes they're in my third eye, which is what people describe the the physical location as your pineal gland and some people call it your imagination in my opinion it's your third eye it's your sixth sense to see things see the unseen yeah so okay we haven't talked about the neck and back pain with me can you sense neck and back pain with me right now it feels like it shoots up the back and kind of like goes into the cranial like right at the bottom it's almost like I don't know which side I feel it a lot on my right side um and I feel it down in the throat as well like right in the front here okay so what does that what does that mean to you Uh, my intuition is that you're not speaking on something from your heart Specifically, since it's on the right side, we can clap. Clap? Yeah. Okay, so your left hand is on top of your right hand, which means. What's that? Or, or is your right hand? Okay, so your right hand's on top of your left hand, so that means. I always do that. Your right side of the body is your dad, siblings, and business, and the left side of your body is your mom and babies, or anything that you consider yeah. to be a baby. Yeah I've, yeah, I've come across that. So, if it's on your right side, then I would say it's something to do with your dad. Intuitively, I feel it's something with your dad, and we've had conversations, so it's not a full... Okay, because I, I actually feel pretty consistent tension. In, I mean, it's way reduced since the beginning of the year, since I've done a lot of this belief work, but... My chronic stuff has been on my left. Okay. Do you feel on the right right now? Yeah. Okay. Feels very concentrated right here. So in your experience working with clients, do you you're saying that you you embody what the other person's experiencing? Yeah. Okay. Normally. Normally. Well, you what do you feel on my left? I feel 
energy trapped here in between your forehead and your mouth. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, this is esoteric stuff already. Um, <laughs> but I think... I think it's uh, it's really interesting to explore, but I want I want to hear more about your clients and like because you've talked about someone who had like a f- really intense physical condition, yeah, and then it was healed. Like, what was that? So, um, just last week, I had a client who has anemia, and I meditated with her for fifteen minutes, and she does blood tests to see how much iron's in there how many white blood cells, all of the stuff that people with anemia, they test their blood for. And immediately that day, she tested in the morning. We did the healing session. She tested in the next day, and her um, blood, her white cell blood count was back to normal just from one intervention. Fuck, fuck yeah. Yeah. So in your sessions, you're really doing a lot of this integration work, but it's a most, much more based on feeling than talking, right? It can be. Sometimes I'm also trained in neurolinguistics programming, and if someone's not open to the energy healing and there's beliefs in the way or there's other things that talking helps with, I'll do the neurolinguistics programming with people and help them to isolate specific unconscious parts or inner children, and, and along the way, the energy happens. Yeah. Um, so. Okay, okay. So, okay, I'll, I just wanted to, to plant that seed at the beginning of the show with a little window into what you're doing. And we'll come back to that. Like, what is energy? You know, uh, these different modalities. Let's, let's, let's ask some questions about that. But I want to hear more about your story mm. and how you got here and what's motivating all this work. I would say a scientific approach to everything that I do is my number one motivator. I I never just dive into, you know, like using the word never, but I rarely dive into things and think, oh, this is the truth, this is what it is. I really have to have multiple occurrences and kind of test the waters out before I'm fully into something and putting all my energy towards it Um, and that pretty much describes my entire upbringing with everything that I did it took me a long time to make this transition into this and it felt like um, I'm sure many people have experienced this where you kind of ignore something that keeps coming into your reality and after the third, fourth time, you kind of take a different approach to it, and the whole universe opens up. So for me, it was ignoring spirituality, um, doing inner work, getting into meditation. That kept coming into my field for like five to ten years before I jumped in, and every time I ignored it, it felt like my life got harder and it was like swimming through concrete it's one of my favorite metaphors to use and the second I opened myself up and started meditating it felt like everything in my life that I had been wanting to manifest and all my dreams they just started falling into place 
and everything got really easy for me and yeah so growing up you were a typical kid so to speak on the outside at least definitely and you had this kind of intuition maybe under the surface but you didn't let it come up I would say it was severely depressed I grew up in a Catholic family and anything that wasn't in alignment with those values got really uh, suppressed in my family and and the community in its entirety I would say I grew up in a regular American home I wouldn't say it's a normal childhood but very normal for America and were you aware of this energy for lack of a better word of this uh, brewing subconscious stuff um, while you were growing up? I became conscious of it quite young. My um, my parents got divorced when I was four, and they started putting me in uh, psychotherapy to help us, me and my siblings, go through the divorce and get new perspective. So I became very aware of the psychological viewpoint in life at a very young age. So I wouldn't say it was fully conscious of it and aware of everything, but... But like this third eye stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah? The third eye stuff? um, I started getting into Buddhism in college. Yeah. um, And that was my first introduction to the chakra system in the body. All right, so you had typical American upbringing, which means there was... Uh, zero trauma, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish that was the typical movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I don't know, I'm sure you talk about having more, like, conservative upbringing, or, like, I mean, obviously you mentioned the Catholic. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, rules. Yeah. And how did you interface with those rules? I pretty much tried everything I could not to follow the rules. Was it like trying to get away with stuff or is it more like overt rebelliousness? Mm. Was it more like slick and cunning? Yeah, I was the youngest. (laughs) So I watched my brother straight up rebel and I thought, that's not working. (laughs) You gotta be a little bit more slick than that. I'd say slick is a good word. Okay. And I would say, I don't know if this is common for uh, other Catholic families or upbringings, but my family was really into only talking about positive things and surface level, like, oh. hey, what's going good? What are you successful at? And then all the bad stuff and the construct of bad, right, from the religion um, that was really suppressed. And those were things you didn't talk about in public and with the extended family. So that was a, a really big part of me becoming slick in that aspect. So did you find ways to talk about it? Mm. The stuff that was bothering you, that was hurting you deep down? Uh, I would say going to the psychotherapist was yeah. that and my sister. We confided in each other a lot. I love her so much. So you have an older brother and older sister? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I have three stepsisters and a half-brother who's younger. And what kind of work were your parents doing? My mom it does assistant work. She does, like, assist executives. And my dad runs a business painting, um, like, general construction, painting walls and 
building things. Ah, yeah. not artistic painting. No, no. So there's a lot of masculine energy there. Both, Extreme. Both parents. Yeah. Assistants yeah. to executive. So like high functioning in the business world. Yes, yeah. So I can see, okay, positive, what's going well, keep it together, be strong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we're all humans. We have the need for emotional expression, visibility. It sounds like that got suppressed quite a bit. I think I let a lot out of it, a lot of my emotions out playing soccer. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I would be dead if I didn't play soccer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have like a diary journal to help you as well? I did. Yeah. I think I lied to myself though. And I almost, I don't know if this is something other people do, but I almost wrote in my journal like someone else was going to read it one day. And Mm. I think that was a lack of privacy in my environment growing up. And I was fearful of someone coming in and reading it. But yeah, I don't think I was so honest with myself because of that. Huh. Yeah, and I can imagine for a kid in that environment, to be honest, it is almost... like It's a, it's a coping mechanism to not be honest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes sense because there's not really a healthy outlet to be honest. I mean, we were just reading, uh, reading this book before we started recording, looking at this book, Honoring the Self by Nathaniel Brandon, and he has the 24 questions about one's childhood to reflect on, and what was the one that you noticed the... Did you have the freedom to express your views openly without fear of punishment? Yeah, my eyes went right to that question. <laughs> See, I think your intuition knows, right? Yeah. I, out of all the questions, that's right where my eyes went. Yeah, I needed to see that. Yeah, so you didn't have the environment to express yourself openly. So to be honest, even in the journal. Yeah. Because yep. you weren't sure that that was private. Yeah. I would say that's the largest thing I've overcome is being honest with myself. I learned, I can't remember who said this, it might be a famous quote, but honesty is not for others, it's for yourself. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's for your own self-interest. Yeah. It's your own, your own freedom. So, but tell me more about what motivates you in relation to healing other people's trauma Mm. and I mean I want to talk about how you went to Japan and started meditating but what I mean you have this vision for humanity and you are doing this for your life's work right now is working with people to help them heal and you're healing yourself what what's driving that like what's the fuel behind that my purpose so you you greatly desire to see each person liberated but would you say that this I mean I think it's pretty straightforward question but most people would would agree that when they're doing this type of work it's it stems from your own upbringing that's kind of what I'm driving at like Mm. It can. That's what I'm curious about. Okay, like you think that your own upbringing and your own journey of self-knowledge and healing 
is informing your purpose? I would say it's the exact opposite. I believe that um, from a stoic perspective that we all have a divine purpose and that my soul manifested every single thing in my childhood, every single experience that I've had to lead me on my way to my purpose. Hmm. I believe we decide everything before we come here. It's written in the stars. So, you decided to have trauma. Yeah, definitely. Because I've always kind of rejected that idea of trauma is good for people. Like, obviously it's not good for people, but there's value in experiencing adversity because then you build at resilience as a person and you have something of value it makes you a interesting person and resilient person and strong and if you don't have that then you might not have as much gratitude or something substantial to articulate in your story or if it's all uh, completely harmonious and peaceful and so that in that sense that like people talk about having kids and they're like, I think Joe Rogan's talk about this. I'm not sure if they, if I want my kids to uh, have such an amazing childhood because then they won't build that resilience. Right. Mm. And I'm just like, no, like I think life is naturally resilient or challenging. And so it's going to build resilience. If you face challenges voluntarily, trauma is facing challenges involuntarily. And I want to eliminate that. Mm. So tell me more about this. Like, why would one choose to have a childhood that's uh, that includes experiences that are traumatic, essentially? That are mm. when the, when the fight or flight response is is invoked. Well, I would say I challenge you to view your filters here. Okay. Um, I don't think we choose trauma. I think we manifest the exact reality to put us on our purpose. And right now, the state of the world is extremely traumatized. And therefore, the quickest path to your purpose may have been through trauma. I think in a more healed society, I would have, without trauma, right? Where trauma is greatly reduced, we have more conscious human beings, that I still would have manifested a reality where I'm on my way to waking people up, which is my purpose. And... That may have been through just watching these things happen in the world or having someone I love go through something and I view it and I find purpose in that. I don't think it necessitates that you go through trauma. So when you're talking, obviously we're working in this premise right now that of... um you have the soul that is choosing a life before it's born. Yeah. Um, and we can explore that premise potentially, but let's just play with it right now. Like grant the premise mm. and you're talking about choosing your life's purpose and, but you're not choosing the specific traumas. Like that's already like that's out of your control. Mm. But what do you mean when you're saying you're manifesting, you're manifesting some of these experiences? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I mean that your unconscious mind has a divine purpose, right? So if we're, if we're running on that premise, and mine is to wake up the world. So I believe that no matter what it was happening, whatever the state of the world is, unless the whole world is awoken to a conscious state, a, a state some call enlightenment, nirvana, then if that was ha- if that was here, I wouldn't be here. My soul wouldn't be here because I would be somewhere else where I am needed, where my soul purpose is needed. But since the whole world is not awoken, I am here and I was born into a place where I experienced things that put me through the lenses of viewing life that way. Like that, okay, there's a lot of very conscious individuals and there's a lot of people that um, are very unconscious. They're living life in a way where they're not aware of where their linguistics are coming from. They're not aware of the impact they're having on themselves and other people. And I, as an individual conscious soul, will be seeing that throughout my soul experience so that I can help people like that and myself to wake up. I feel like I'm not answering your question because <laughs> I don't know how. No, no, it's it's, it's all good. Uh, yeah, like your, your uh, take on this is that you're, you have a soul and it has a purpose that it's unchosen. It's like, that's just, what your soul is yeah and it's right if if like if humanity weren't full of unconsciousness and trauma then you wouldn't even be here on this planet probably <laughs> or not what what not who knows where you'd be what that means but the, the reality is we have a planet full of of um unconsciousness right and so you're seeing it as your life's purpose to to bring that okay so that's fair enough um Man, so let's talk about this third eye stuff a little more. Okay. And seeing seeing images. So, okay, when we, 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 let me tell the story of when we first met. Okay. And a listener can take that for what it is, and then we'll, we'll <laughs> explore it. Okay. So... <sighs> Well, so I'd just come from a few weeks earlier, before I met you, I'd been at this mind camp, the mind mind fix retreat, and I had experienced, and I talked about this uh, on the previous episode um, a little bit, um, called the most profound experience of my life or, um, earlier this year on this podcast, but... I had experience with sort of psychic, basically. One of the, one of the people who I worked with um, was able to identify three specific, very specific details of uh, sort of lowercase lowercase t traumatic experience I had when I was ten, and it kind of blew my mind. And I'm still figuring out what that, what that was all about but um 
I met you, and then I learned that you had begun into this territory. Now you, now you've, you've only been doing this kind of stuff for like a year, right? Yeah, like, less than yeah. And we're gonna talk about Japan, by the way. I want to get back to that because you were like living a normal life, right? And then you went to Japan, and then okay, and then a year later, you're doing all this work. So, but I, I was aware that you kind of had some of these. You had started tapping into this type of ability. And I was like, all right, well, I was going into meeting you. I was like, let's see if she can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we met and then we started, well, we started um, doing some work on some of my my trauma. Just, just a little, just like I have a brief kind of window into that with um, well I won't I won't get into that but like we, we did a little bit of work just for like 10 minutes and it was really powerful and I like felt a lot of I did feel a lot of that like an energetic flow from you from you and the and like in my root chakra as it were yeah <laughs> and part of me is like Joel you can't say all these these non-scientific terms like, again, we're, we're we're just exploring here, yeah. and I'm gonna grant these premises. And so I was feeling that, but then I was like, yeah. So I had this experience with in Colorado at this retreat, and I didn't tell you anything else. Like, all I said was that I'd had this experience where this other person had named these three details of this memory and as soon as I said that I sort of involuntarily re-remembered that memory and as soon as that, as soon as that happened you were like oh you mean the playground <laughs> yeah and I'm like what the fuck so yeah like this, this this experience was me waiting to get picked up from after school and my, my parents never coming and I was waiting in the playground um, uh, those weren't the, the three details you didn't name the three details but three um, the three details were like there's a flagpole and I put my boots next to it and then I hid behind a shrub I hid behind a shrub but um, but I didn't even I didn't tell you anything I didn't say I was at the school I didn't give you any hint into what this memory was I just started t- telling the story that this other person had read me that's all I just began telling you that and didn't give you any 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 insights and you're just like oh the playground so okay no one had told you about this beforehand right because like Jackson introduced us. He didn't tell you about it, right? I don't think so. He told me he never told you. I have no reason to believe that he would tell you. I don't even think he necessarily remembered that that happened to me. Um, I just heard you were a good hugger. Yeah. That, that's what I knew about you. <laughs> and that you were just... That you had moved to 
Austin recently, in recent time. So, what happened in that moment in your vision? Or... Uh, I saw like a, a playground set, and I saw you as a little boy, almost like getting your face like shoved down into. I think at the time when I saw it, it was snow, and I said that to you, and you're like, "Yeah, it wasn't snow." But I saw you getting your face shut oh, down. Oh, okay. So that was something. that was that was another memory, actually. Okay. Um, I have I have two traumatic memories from that playground, and that was that was second grade. I got my my face shoved in the snow. But um, like you just see like you're seeing this like in your imagination, like involuntarily, it just comes up. Yeah. Just as if you were to visualize anything yeah yeah so what is that i believe that it's how animals communicate i think it's we all have this ability to communicate in this way um to communicate through feelings and images that we can send. I think there's an energy connecting all of us and when we have very emotional events, significant emotional events, SEEs, that they get stored in our unconscious mind and the unconscious mind is synced up to the energetic quantum realm, collective conscious, whatever you want to call it. People used to call it God. And if you need to release something energetically that you can share that with another soul and they can help you so it gets sent and then I see it and I help I think it's so interesting I think it's so fascinating I could be completely wrong <laughs> I don't know I just see it. Well, that's so you see it and you have a theory about what it is. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not connected to it though. I'm open to anything. You're open to a completely brand new explanation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's what I'm curious about is like these stories people tell and then it's easy to say it's not scientifically verifiable. Right. And I, I just conjecture that there's, it is scientifically verifiable, but not with the current tools of measurement. Yeah, I agree. Now it could be wrong, but I mean, why can't humans be continually evolving and then there's new data about reality and then we need new tools to measure that data exactly uh, it's almost like it's almost like science can become a religion when there's not an openness yep but again it's, it's fine it's a fine line where you don't want to accept something without evidence but that's why I like that Aristotle quote that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. 
it's like can we just be in the un- <clears throat> can we be in a space of not having the answer right now it doesn't mean that you can't know the answer just that you don't know it right now it's my I love science just want to pre-frame with that I love science but there's a specific way of science that I love which is inductive science deductive science where you're kind of putting a theory in a box and then throwing away any evidence that doesn't fit the theory which is where a lot of corporations, the media it's a lot of the science that's going on it's not my favorite I think it's not if you told that to an Aristotle or a scientist, maybe even 20, 30, 40 years ago, they would laugh and say that's not science. Because I believe true science is inductive. And in the fact that you find a piece of evidence and you follow where the piece of evidence is taking you, not throwing away things that don't fit a theory or a narrative. Yeah. I think there's truth to that and just wonder if the the mechanism of the scientific method itself can limit the truth acquisition in the sense that like how do you measure can you measure everything can you measure the qualitative experience of putting your feet through sand on a beach Mm. Well, they call it pseudoscience, right? It's almost like a thing that's been outcasted now. This science of collecting human experiences based on asking someone how something felt or what they personally experienced. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm saying you can't. I don't think you can use science to measure that at oh, all. So if you're attempting to, it might be pseudoscience. Isn't it still science? So. Uh, maybe we're not on the same page, but what we're talking about. I'm just saying, like, the experience of feeling the incredible sand through your toes right. is not measurable. That experience isn't measurable. Um, but it's part, is it not part of reality? So that's one angle on all this. Uh, it's really, really tricky. I'm, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable right now because I'm like, this is a little, it's a little stretching because I want to have, I want to have philosophical clarity and certainty and um, not be playing with things that are. I don't, I don't want to be asserting any contradictions into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about these other other realms. I think there's I just heard enough stories like my friend Matt was on the podcast a few months ago talking about his uh, Iboga experience in Africa and working with those shaman mm. and how like this other person who was on the, the retreat with him was like just saying all these things that there's no way that like he was he was um, identifying information about somebody else but there's no way he would ever know kind of thing and I just keep hearing these types of stories and 
stories aren't truth. Like, it's anecdotal, but absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. So I'm, I'm just like, yeah, let's, let's, I would love to be able to measure this stuff. I want, I want scientific verification, but is it possible that some, that some of these scientific uh, measurement exp- experiments right now aren't equipped and could even get in the way of the truth where like and this just sounds out there but like what could the if they're trying to like measure your ability to see through your third eye if there's some experimenter there who's who has like this energy of cold objective science and has even a bias in his own head about this stuff mm. that that could interfere with your ability to engage with that you know what I'm saying? Definitely, yeah. It's um, quite difficult to read people who are sending energy of unacceptance or doubt or. Or say there was like you were like say you were like working with someone and then there was a third party scientist doing some sort of measurement okay. like that. Even that could get in the way. I don't know. I would. I would say the best way to do that would be to perhaps record what's happening and then have the scientists view it It, because it's it's almost like you know the slit experiment with um like quantum physics where you've got the two okay well i'm not gonna be able to explain it but it basically says that the energy of viewing an experiment changes the experiment yeah that's that's what i'm conjecturing here yeah is literally the scientific method is interfering with the the reality exactly and you might say that's a cop-out and maybe it is a cop-out i don't fucking know (laughs) sound like joe rogan i don't know anything yeah literally by the way we saw joe rogan live stand-up comedy (laughs) so good a couple weeks ago and it was awesome um okay you just like i don't know anything no, but actually, I think I do know things, but it could be a cop-out, but it could also be possible. Like, let's say there was another scientific method, another, um, no, another scientific measurement tool that we don't have yet as humans that could observe this stuff without interfering mm. like maybe once we achieve that these experiments could be run without the interference and then you could scientifically verify it right yeah. but right now the experience of a human being a scientist being there watching could be interfering or other um, recording devices or any frames any tools that would be attempting to measure this realm right now maybe those are getting in the way of the actual experience happening they could be i think i think there are some tools that help i know joe dispenza's done a lot of work where they'll measure brain waves or they'll take mris and scans of the brain before meditation during meditation after meditation and they're able to scientifically see the effects of going into specific theta states or brainwave states and how it impacts the neurology of what's going on in your brain and your ability to have what I call healing energy. I don't know what a scientist would call it. Um, 
move through the body to specific parts of the body. Yeah. So then there's the question of like, what's the mechanism, right? So there's maybe what you're calling healing energy is uh, incorrect identification of what's actually happening, but it's it's a representation of reality, mm-hmm. but it's not the actual concept. And so yeah. there's other mechanisms that are, need to be clarified. But see, this this is a key point as well, where it's like. Well, like let's, let's 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 talk about this healing energy. Like you'll work with a client, you work with me. Like you're putting your hand above me, and like I'm lying on the floor, and you're next to me, and you're putting your hand over different parts of uh, chakras, right? Yeah. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling a sensation. Yeah. As you hover your hand over my belly button, mm-hmm. I feel a sensation. Like it is first. When I first met you. I really felt that first time you did that. Uh, so then the question is like, what is the mechanism that creates that? Is it something that I am imagining in my head? Mm. Um, but so that's a question, but I'm also, I'm almost like, I don't care because like just from a healing perspective, yeah. if it works, like what right. you're doing worked for me. Yeah. So like, let's figure out what the mechanism is. Um, so Joe Dispenza, when, People go into his retreats. Some people, I mean, there's hundreds of stories of testimonials. You can go on his website and, and read all the people that have been there. People have walked in blind. They walk out seeing. They walk in with cancer. They walk out without things like that. Hundreds of testimonials. And what they've measured is that healing energy that I'm talking about is the brain fully opening up and you're using a hundred percent of your brain so they'll see it kind of explode they, they put these um i don't know what they're called but those you know those little sticky things that you put on your head and they measure your brain waves do you know what i'm yeah. talking about so they'll have that during the group meditations and they're able to measure exactly when people are about to hit that state of the whole brain being used and they can measure this and the second that happens people will have these instantaneous healings where they'll just feel a pop in their eye and then, boom, they're seeing for the first time. Wait, what work is he doing with them? Um, he does these meditations. Uh, you, if you read his books, at the end of his books, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself or You Are the Placebo, there's these meditations where um, you kind of talk to yourself you set intentions of gratitude surrender they've measured the different emotions that you can feel vibrationally and um, frequency and certain emotions that you can have in your body measure higher vibration frequency i don't know the exact measurement hurts whatever it is you can read it in his book he's a scientist i'm not um but they found that gratitude, love, those are the highest vibration and frequency emotions that you can have. And so they do meditations together where they get into those states of gratitude and love. And I think he calls it higher love and even more love. Um, and when you get into that, the measurement of your brain and the parts of your brain that are activated change. And people have these, what, what I call miracle healings. I'm curious about that. You are yeah. the placebo. Yeah. That's the name of the book. Great book. Like, I want to read that because I'm really interested in, in that a very concept. Just hearing the title of the book, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like people say it's just the placebo effect. And it's like, that's the thing. 
And that's another angle on all this stuff is like, kind of like we're saying is the scientific measurement of a particular realm potentially interfering with reality. It's like if a, you as an individual, let's say you were, someone came to you who was skept, completely skeptical yeah. of your work, but then they sat down to do a session with you and they were like completely blocked off to you, what you would offer, mm. then it wouldn't work maybe because Perhaps. they're in their, like, like physically, neurochemically, they're engaging in skepticism to such a degree that they're not able to engage quote-unquote placebo. They're not able to open themselves up to the power. Does that resonate? It does. That's what Joe Dispenza calls nocebo. So it's still the law of manifestation and act. Yeah. You've decided it's not going to work for you, so of course it doesn't work yeah. for you. The nocebo. Yeah. So... It's fascinating stuff. Uh, if nothing else, I get a lot of pleasure out of exploring all this. It's very playful for me um, to entertain without accepting and like trying to understand what it is or what the what the true concept is. Is is the def, is the word itself getting in the way of the concept? Right? Because mm-hmm. words are just representations of concepts. Yeah. Right. Because you could have word in any language. And it's trying to represent a certain concept. Now, some concepts are more transparent than others. Like, A, A equals A. Like, 1 plus 1 equals 2. It's very straightforward. But then you have other words. Um, talk about a term like third eye or like, even like imagination. What does that mean? What's the definition of that? What's the definition of these different words that we're using that we think we know what we mean by them. And then it's like, that's kind of where the work is. Maybe like, let's get, let's be archeologists, like chisel down and dig away at the definitions of these act of these words that are trying to get at truth. It's like, to me, truth, it, like truth is truth independent of any language, right? It's just truth. Sure. And then we try to put language on as ways to communicate truth. But the truth is separate from the language, right? So sometimes I think we get distorted and clouded with the language by thinking it automatically represents the concept. So that's kind of where the stuff is as well. Um, so yeah, the, the third eye stuff, like seeing seeing the image of, of the playground. It's fascinating. I, I, yeah, I just... I mean, I am. I'll, I'll admit that part of me does just want it to be true. Like, yeah. it's so cool. And but but the idea, like, I think as we evolve as humans, let's continue to look into it. Like, how how could how could we potentially communicate through these other fields? And like, I mean, you've talked about other stuff, like seeing, like reality in different timelines, right? Yeah, definitely. <sighs> <laughs> So I think we all have, most of us have unconscious parts, right? These inner children that they will, they have voices and personalities and beliefs and values of their own because of the experiences that they've had. I've done so much 
inner child work, so much NLP with these parts. And I can't be the only one who's psychic and a healer that has done these things. And when I'm doing this work with other people, I see past lives. I see people in this, the person that I'm working with in a different body. And then I will do work with that consciousness that I'm seeing. And somehow, magically, that voice just disappears when we nurture it on an energetic level. And you're reading Richard Schwartz's books. Yes. IFS. Yes. We've talked about that on the show quite a bit. Internal Family Systems Therapy. And you're talking about these parts of self and... So you're familiar with this landscape of these fragmented parts that are a result of childhood experiences. For sure. Right? Yeah. And we want to integrate them back in so we can become whole. Right. And what I'm curious about is like the distinction in your mind between uh, an, an a piece of the psyche that's simply from one's childhood from a particular trauma or so that's fragmented in that traditional IFS way versus what you're talking about with past, past lives. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that there's a clear distinction there? Some of the stuff you're working with is that's IFS part from age five. Yes. And then you're saying there's other energy within the psyche that's from previous life. Yes. Lives. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because, I mean, for myself, I did tons of neurolinguistics programming, which is very similar to IFS. Talking to my parts, journaling the parts, figuring them out, figuring out what they need, nurturing them, talking to them with love and compassion. And a lot of them integrated. A lot of the ones where I could trace it back to specific experiences of childhood and um, my upbringing in this life and then there were these other ones that were present for as long as I can remember two years old the images that I would get I would go back into baby form and then get shown myself in, in a body living in Saudi Arabia and I would get images of being hungry not having enough food and I would just talk to this consciousness and offer them food, offer them what they needed, show them that they can pass on, just like I do when I'm helping lost souls. Or You saw these images when you were two? No, no, I'm talking now, when I meditate on my parts. And I get shown the origin. Like you, you know when you tune into a part and then you maybe get a visual of your childhood room? Yeah. I will get that, but in a different body, in a different country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know his history of your family? Like, why would you be in Saudi Arabia? My family has no connection to Saudi Arabia or we're German, Scottish, and Irish. Mostly European. So what? What's going on? What's up? What's up with that? In my opinion, it's re- reincarnation. Oh, <laughs> right. 
and I, and <sighs> I, don't, been, I don't know if I have the capacity for that topic. Well, I would highly recommend uh, watching this documentary called um, Surviving Death on Netflix. It's there's people that have been studying uh, past lives since I think the 50s or 60s. University of Virginia. It's called the Division of Perceptual Studies. And they collect data on these children who have past life experiences, and then they go and verify the exact experiences in, in a scientific way. It's pretty eye-opening. Okay, yeah, so you're, you're saying past <laughs> lives. It could, it could be a random other person on the other side of the planet. that you. Because there's also a distinction. There's past lives, and then there's like intergenerational transfer. For sure. There's that pathway. There's like... Epigenetics. Like, when we first worked together, that was seeing my grandmother in a concentration camp. Yes. And... Yeah. Which I, I'm much more... I mean, maybe just because of my own personal experience with looking at trauma from previous generations. I think that's definitely possible. Or this epigenetic... Coat encoding with, you know, my grandparents went to the Holocaust, uh, encoded like that changed their. Uh, I don't know all, all, the, all the genetic science, but that ch- that changed their wiring, essentially, so that when they had my father, and then subsequently my father had me, like that was wired in based on the concentration camp experience Mm -hmm. there's something wired in there um okay so Saudi Arabia let's let's bookmark that maybe for a future podcast (laughs) (sighs) man so Yeah, the work that you've done with like moving energy through my body. Let me just talk about that for a bit. Like like we we were doing all sorts of stuff. I was lying on the floor there. This is yeah. This is like our first like full session we did. And you got I'm lying on the floor, you got you got your gemstones too. We can talk about gemstones. Yeah, crystals. Crystals. <laughs> Man. If someone had told me a year ago we talk about this stuff in my podcast, you'd be like <laughs> Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> You're like working like man. We have we have a few gemstones, crystals here right, with us right now. Um two of them you gave to me. Yeah. Um you're working with these stones and then you're also moving energy through my body with your hand and mm-hmm. it was really palpable. Like at first we start at the bottom, like at that root and sacral, right? Mm-hmm. Towards the, the belly button and the midsection of the body, um, the pelvic bone, that kind of area. And you're just working there a lot and you're kind of placing some of these stones on top of me there and like. We're doing this integration work. We're talking about... I'm going back and looking at 
at parts and childhood experiences and you were even like bringing me towards past lives stuff and I'm like I don't know what that's about but we'll <laughs> we'll ride this wave and like just play along I guess <laughs> but it's trying to was trying to strike the root for some of this stuff that's in my psyche right anyway so with the energy we started working up mm-hmm. like towards the heart yeah and well, there was one powerful moment. I don't even want to talk about that that one moment. But <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs a little bit of that in their life. <laughs> but like, what was it say that at one point there was just like like my heart chakra was not vibrating. Right. Like I was not feeling vibration there. I wasn't feeling the palpable energy of like warmth. I guess I would describe it. That I had been feeling in the lower part in this root. And all of a sudden it was just like, boom. And it was up into my, into my heart chakra, into this upper chest. And then we started working more up into the throat and like all the way up to the third eye. And like, I just remember towards the end, we had, we had these stones all up up my body and you, you had worked all the way up and I was vibrating. Like I've never experienced anything like that before or since the amount like the, the the energetic the palpable tangible like again there's I guess there's not a better word than energy but like sensation uh, sensation yeah. yeah I mean there's a palpable sensation is a, is a better word um, throughout my upper body throughout from my from my midsection through my head in particular, like all the way on the to- all parts of the torso, and just really s- could feel this sensation, and uh, what it, what is that scientifically? I don't know, but like I can tell you that it like really we got we got some work done that day. Yeah, like healing, integrating parts, like creating more wholeness in my body, in my mind. Right. I would, if I had to put a scientific word to it, I would say is your spinal calm moving electrical currents. Yeah. Of course, I mean, yeah, it definitely is that. Um, and yeah, when we start, we start thinking about um, adverse childhood experience is stored in the body, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the book by Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. And that's really what this type of work is. And any any type of integration work, whether it could be purely talk therapy, if you're doing some IFS therapy and you're not doing any like physical work, but you're just talking about and visualizing the child and like giving love and nurturing, then that's releasing the fragmented part, integrating it, and that's affecting the body, right? It's releasing the stored tension in the body when you integrate the trauma. Yeah. So it's all the same stuff. And you were, but you were taking both modalities of like, we were doing like inner child work, like imagining and dialoguing with parts and, and also moving like physically. Um, so all that to say, I guess, is that 
there's efficacy in what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. So, okay, let's talk about Japan. Okay. Because this is how, like your, your kind of journey kind of was catalyzed, right? Because you were sort of on the outside. You were a typical American girl, graduated college, right? And then... Yeah. I ha- I'm simplifying. Yeah. I, I had an awakening when I was 17. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried MDMA. Okay. And um, for someone who did, was not so happy all the time and felt extreme depression all, all through high school and it was right after high school, the, high, the, the summer going in to college from high school and I tried it at a, a music festival and I had right the serotonin levels were just heightened in my body, fuming through my body, and I, I had an awakening of, uh, wow, you can feel this good, right? And that drove me for the next like that drove my healing experience of I want to feel that good without drugs every day. How can I do that? And after the experience, and I had come down from the drug, I really changed my mindset and started sitting with myself and my thoughts and meditating and although at the time I didn't know it was meditation and I started having um, spiritual experiences of um, seeing spirits, seeing things in my third eye and I woke up what I call to my own spirit. At the time I didn't believe in souls, I didn't believe in energy, anything like that. And I really opened up. And then um, my family, I started talking about it to my family, and they really suppressed it back down and told me I was crazy, all these things. So that was my first experience in life. And so you kind of tucked it away after that? Yeah, for about, I don't know, six. But you had an inkling about this stuff when you were younger. Oh, yeah. But you didn't believe in. Specifically, you were like, this is soul or energy. You kind of just had a little window into it. Yeah. And then you had this experience at 17. And then it was suppressed. Yep. And then five years later or so, right? Started meditating in Japan. Yep. Tell us about that. Um, I moved to Japan in the middle of the uh, pandemic. And I was an English teacher, cultural ambassador and Wait, it was that recent yeah you moved there in 2020 i got the last flight out of america before they shut the border down for the first time oh i thought it was like you were there in like 2018 19 or something uh, i did visit there went okay. for a, a college study abroad and but you were really living there like 2020 yeah right at the beginning okay go on and I got there and all the schools were shut down so and everything was shut down and I saw it as an uh, an opportunity to start meditating and really looking within reading a lot of uh, Eckhart Tolle, Joe Dispenza, watching a lot of stuff about um, releasing things and just being content being alone. Mm-hmm. So I started meditating every day and I started having these crazy experiences. And I got really good at meditating right away because I lived next to a train. So I learned very quickly how to become present regardless of the surrounding 
noises and Japanese apartments are very close to each other. So anytime someone moves in the apartment next to you, you could hear it. So I was very fortunate in that sense of being able to get into deep meditation right away. That's cool how you frame it like that, by the way, because it'd be easy to frame it the opposite way. True. So I was unfortunate because I didn't have a Zen setting. <laughs> True. But you saw that as an opportunity to build the muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then you learn to tune that stuff out and really go deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would get into states where I, I come out of the meditation and it's been three hours. And it felt like five minutes to me. And it wasn't con- you're not conscious of time when you go into certain meditative states. Wow. I had experiences where I left my body and was looking down at my body and then going like around Japan. And I would leave my body, go maybe three, four blocks over in a place where I've never been and see something. And I had learned about this in a meditation podcast that you can do this. I would see something and note something and then come back into my body and then later in the day go and walk there and see the exact same thing that I saw in the meditation and I was mind blown. That was crazy for so you'd me. You'd never been there before? No. No. <laughs> Just and moved you there. Took this little journey while meditating. Yeah. Then you go in real life and you see Yeah. Specifically, it was a 7-Eleven, which are very common in Japan, but it was right across from a hot spring little, um, I don't know how to say it in English, onsen, but um, like right across the street from it, and I saw the colors of the sign. I had never seen it before in my life, in the meditation, and then come back into my body. Are you sure you didn't? pass by it and you just never remembered that you passed by it and that it was in your memory so i came into the apartment the complete opposite way so i had come in i don't know the directions but so this is like you just gotten into the country literally yeah and you just okay so you didn't yeah. know your way around yet no so you'd never been to this part of town no never and you saw these these particular colors on a particular sign. Yeah. What were these? Are these are these like uniquely like presented colors? Like, uh, I would say it was unique in the sense that I mean it was a specific corner, and I was seeing details on the corner of different buildings and the signs and just. Yeah. I mean, it's like a different corner, right? So did you know where it was? Like, did you know where to go easily when you went to go look for it in real life? Yes. Yeah, I knew it was okay. like four blocks in the direction towards the water. That's all I knew. Okay. So when I got out of meditation, I looked on my map and saw which way the water was and walked four blocks. Didn't run into it right away because I didn't turn like start on the right block but um ended up yeah getting there and i tested this out a few different times after yeah. that experience and had similar things so then what like you realized you kept doing this a lot like you're meditating like hours a day yeah 
And I'm like, what's happening? How is this possible? And I found out there's something called astral projecting. And then I started reading books about that and what that means and how you do it efficiently. And started getting really into that. You can feel yourself leave the body. It feels like I'm making the body gesture that you're leaving upwards, but it feels like you fall out to me. It feels like you're falling through like how I felt when I was skydiving. And then, boom, I'm looking down at my body. So, for devil's advocate purposes, wouldn't it be just you're creating this in your imagination? Like, you are imagining yourself looking at your own self. That's totally doable. Yeah. To imagine yourself looking at yourself. Mm-hmm. But what you're, what you're getting at is something different than that, even. Because you're actually traveling to someplace. Yeah. Yeah. That you don't know. That's the key point there. That you didn't know this place. Exactly. Beforehand. Yeah. So how did you know how to get there, even in your mind? Because okay, I went there. You had, you in, had been there. In my soul. In your soul. Yeah. So you knew what to do in the meditation. <sighs> I, I, I challenge anyone who is having skepticism around it to try it. I'm not saying this is truth, this is what it is. This is just my experience, and there's lots of other people who have very similar ones. Yeah. So I would say try it out. Look into astral projecting, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of a podcast, um, short little podcast from Isaac Morehouse, who's um, the founder of the company I work for, Crash. But yeah, a little short podcast. Um, the podcast was called Forward Tilt. And it's about like mindsets for you know ambitious professional people. But he also this, this particular episode was called As If It's True. And he's saying when you learn about a new idea or you hear an aphorism or a quote or something that maybe isn't immediately congruent with your worldview yeah that you try it on as if it were true and again it's this playful mentality yeah. where you're like i'm not saying this is it that i believe this i'm just trying it on and i'm going to live my life as if it were true for the next month and see what happens yeah that's my and like it's a fun way to live yeah, like for no other reason yeah for inner childhood playfulness like child playfulness like Take an idea and put it on, try on that hat, right? And operate as if it were true. Because I think often we reject new ideas because at least subconsciously, we wouldn't, we think, well, we know subconsciously that if we were to integrate that idea, we would need to change our life and do hard work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we, we just find the reason to say no. So find the reason to dismiss something rather than saying something like, I mean, you see this, you see this on social media all the time. Yeah. Someone ha- ha- posts some pithy quote and then the comments are, well, what about this exception? This is not true in this way. And so there's a bias towards how can I dismiss this? Yeah. But the harder mindset is, when you hear a new idea, asking, how could this be true? What would it mean for my life if this were true? Exactly. 
What would I change if it were true? And then if you really want to go for it, you actually live your life as if it were true. And you're, again, you're not even, you're putting a frame on it. You're saying in the next month, I'm going to operate as if this were true. Yeah. And now I'll reevaluate later. But you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Instead of kind of staying outside of the fishbowl and looking in and analyzing everything, you're going to go inside the fishbowl and learn to f- swim with that fish and see what it's like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's the only model that I'm attached to. <laughs> is that I my favorite thing in the world to do is to learn new perceptions in life and try to fully embody it and see what happens because I believe that there's no my reality is reality and your reality is is not true. I believe everyone has a different model of reality and the only truth is like the collective sum of all of those perceptions and different realities. So I'm trying to get all the different realities that I can so I can view life as objectively as possible and be able to relate to every person. And it's possible that many individuals have a distorted reality going on. Like they are engaged in biases and distortions because there's all sorts of whole lists of those oh yeah for sure and so their individual reality is actually incongruent with objective reality and so when you try someone else's reality on it's worth being mindful of biases right so it's a yes and as yeah. i like to i like to advocate for that mindset it's it's, it's a we're gonna let's have a, this mindset of trying on ideas and operating as if they're true but that doesn't mean that you let go of critical thinking exactly right it's yeah. not like oh now now i'm no longer going to think independently and question things while another one of my favorite words while you try on the new reality you maintain your skeptic lens but it's like well it's to some degree you want to let go maybe because it is a lens. like we talked about earlier if you're too skeptical Maybe you're not going to actually be able to entertain it. Yeah. So that's why I think it's helpful. It's, it's fun to have and helpful to have the frame of like, let me do this for a month. And then you can tell your skeptic brain that we'll, we'll be back. No, we're going to look at it. <laughs> like you're not, it's like you're not committing to life to a new worldview, yeah. you know? Okay. So you're doing these meditations in, in Japan and you're doing this for a while and then yeah and then you like uncover your life's purpose like whether are there more intermediate steps to share um i I had this experience where i had been off social media i made a vow to go off of it for a year so at this point I, i had been off for about 11 months Great, highly recommend. Yeah, <laughs> if you've never done yeah, it, yeah, done it for recommend. six weeks, but never a year. That's yeah. good. Life changing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it just again another model that I wanted to embody because I hadn't embodied it in so long. Um, so I got this random, really strong urge to kind of just log back into Facebook one day, and this had been maybe two months into the intense meditations, daily meditations. And I saw that, you know, those quizzes that are like, what color is your aura? Or Uh, just those (laughs) random quizzes, right? Like, what character are you in this movie? Um, Yeah. So I took a what color is your aura quiz. Don't know why. It was just the first thing that popped up on my Facebook. 
and it said purple. You, it would help you to have purple crystals around you, like amethyst. And I thought, one thought, I want some amethyst. <laughs> and the next day, <laughs> um, school had started up maybe a week before this in Japan. And I <laughs> went to school the next day, and this man, loved, loved this man, barely knew him, but he would give me gifts every day. It's very common in Japan to give gifts to your coworkers. And he gave me three purple amethyst stones <laughs> the next day. Had he ever given you any stones before? No, it was all food at that point. It was the next day after the Facebook thing. <laughs> next day. So it was a Sunday and then I got to school all food, on Monday. Food, 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 gifts. Yep. You have the thing and the quiz. Next day, amethyst. Yep. And, and <laughs> then I find out that, um, that the crystals really help you open your third eye. And I started looking into the amethyst stone, what it meant, and it blew my mind, yeah. <laughs> and later on, I got home from Japan, and I had been watching this movie called The Secret. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's about law of manifestation, and this guy in the movie says, you know, I, I have these crystals that I hold every day in my pocket and every time I touch it it reminds me to have gratitude and think of what I'm trying to manifest and at that exact moment I thought well I want a gratitude crystal to help me manifest and my cat grabs one of the amethysts and like flicks it off of where it is and it rolled right in front of me same stones that had been given to me. Wait, during... While you're watching the movie. While I'm watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pure coincidence, Catherine. It could be. Yeah, I mean... And by the way, like... The secret, I'm sure people... Well, maybe some people listening have uh, heard that. I've heard that, even seen it, and then have their skeptical lens about that. Even just the whole law of attraction, like again, where it's like these, there's like this triggering effect. Like honestly, a part of me was slightly st- stimulated when you said in the movie that's the secret because mm-hmm. of, because of the the connotation that's been sort of hoisted onto me actually. Because I never even seen the movie. First of all, I see. I just heard people talk about how it BS. Okay. Um, now I'm very cognizant. That's just a part of me that just came up. Involuntarily, it's not what I actually believe, and so again, it's like there is truth in that stuff. The question sure. is how much truth, and then like the law of attraction stuff, I'm really diving into. I'm reading Think and Grow Rich right now, cool. and the power of this manifestation stuff, the power of the mind. This is all real, and yes, part of that is taking action and being a completist and finisher of real projects and reality not simply thinking about it and it's going to occur by itself but that's sort of the caricature of it right well we there's different kinds of manifestors so for me okay. i'm a manifester who only needs to think about something one time and visualize it intensely and then it happens some people are very specific manifestors where they need to think about it daily and they need to visualize what they're smelling what they're seeing what they're hearing in the exact moment multiple times for a manifestation to happen 
for me, I'm not that kind of manifester. I'm a manifesting generator. Well, like, like you've talked about, you've manifested new clients and higher income, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, to, I know what you're saying. You're saying you, for you as in the type of manifester you are, you can think about it and it happens. Right. And it happened also with you taking the action of asking for money, correct? Uh, sometimes. What's an example of when you receive money without doing anything? Um, I So there's this crystal called pyrite, and it's a manifesting crystal. So I sat with it, and I just said... Um, I set the intention of this crystal and this meditation to bring me a $4,000 client. Meditated for maybe 15 minutes. And then that evening, someone texted me and said, hey, I need help. Uh, I'm having all these energies around me. I'm really empathic. I need help. I know you do. You teach a course. How much is it? I want to buy it. So I guess there's the action of of responding that it's $4,000. Right. That's sort of what I'm getting yeah. at, where you... See, I would call the, the, the visualization that you did in the meditation is the fuel for the vehicle that is asking for the 4000 or saying it costs 4000 Right. Right. You had all this power behind the action, where if you don't have fuel in the tank, then you wouldn't have had that like inertia to make the specific... Like it was just all flowing through your consciousness, 4,000, 4,000, 4,000, then it was like an automatic thing that you did. So in a sense, it felt effortless, I imagine. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it happened. But like, I'm just saying like, just from a technical standpoint, it's, it's like something that you are also doing. Um, but yeah, it, there's so much value in generating the burning desire, as Napoleon Hill calls it burning desire and then that's I mean I've seen it happen in my life yeah um everything starts in the mind okay so we were we were on the this, this crystal thing in Japan yeah so he gave you this amethyst yeah and that was another sign <laughs> yeah about this territory what what other events happened in Japan I, w- I would say Oh, I met... Oh, this was... I forgot about this. So those three crystals that were given to me, I, two, three months later, met one of my best friends in the world, and he was born on the exact same day as me, and then we translated the time that we were born at, because he was born in Tokyo, Japan, and I was born in Chicago, Illinois. Exact same time. Exact same day, when you translate the time. And... He had this big um, piece of amethyst. It had the actual rock on it, right? And my little pieces of amethyst fit almost exactly perfectly into his big piece that was the actual rock. And, like, seriously, two of these pieces fit exactly. We were convinced that they they came from this. (laughs) Wait, so is that like one of these? Yeah, yeah. So, so that, like right now we have, this is a piece of amethyst that Kat gave me. Yeah. So you're saying 
this is like a small like one inch right this is like one of the um the pieces of the druzy it's called so you can just kind of like pick it off but the actual amethyst right. is, is grown from a rock right and he had the actual rock right so you took your little piece and you fit it in yes you had multiple pieces three yes and all three of them oh, fit. Right. One of them was fit, but it was from the man bit. who gave them to you. Yes, and the man who gave them to me. So how is he connected to this friend? So his last name, the man who gave this to me, his last name, what is the same last name of the grandfather who gave my friend this amethyst crystal, and both of those. Men, the man who gave me the crystal and the man who gave my friend the crystal were from the same exact place in Japan, which is a very small village up in the northern part. But they didn't know each other? N- not to my knowledge. So you met them separately? Yep. But they were... So it, it seems there's a like, real clear explanation that there actually is... Those rocks did match. <laughs> yes. And they do come from that. Yes. The question is, is there meaning? <laughs> Is there? I mean, these things happen to me almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, for the, for um, for the people who have read The Alchemist, for me, the meaning is that they're omens. Oh, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah. We've talked about that before. <laughs> they're omens uh. to me, and they're signals that I am on my path to fulfilling my purpose. And every time there's a synchronicity, that to me is a sign and a signal from the universe, from my higher self that I am on the right path. It's like a little, like, collect 200 as you pass, go. Right. <laughs> you're, come on, you're on the right well, path. <laughs> man. Well, no, we talked about this, remember? Octopus and my omen of the butterflies? Yes, yes. I don't think I've talked about this in the show. Oh, man. Yeah, because that was really... I was like... Because I was reading that the book, The Alchemist, at the same time I had my... Profound omen experience. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> this was in July 2020, and it was so it was before I moved to Austin, and it was before I started tapping into any of this stuff, really. So I kind of like quickly dismissed it, but it was like it was like really peculiar at the time, the timing of it. So In July 2020, I was like making this final push for me to change careers and leave the K-12 system once and for all after all these years of wanting to leave the system. And I've been working really intensely, in particular like from 2019 and 20 to make, make my career change. And then it was like front of mind. So there's that. There's also, in my mind, about 2015... I hatched in my own mind, like it's a pretty standard metaphor, but I hatched in my mind without anyone else like influencing me really, that my hero's journey that I saw myself on, that I was going on, 2015, so six, seven years ago now. I was like, oh, I'm the cocoon, I'm in the I'm the caterpillar in a cocoon. And I want to, I'm I'm looking to become the butterfly. I was seeing that in terms of my personal growth, my relationship to my parents and my individuation from them and my professional, eventual professional um, growth. And like I knew that I wasn't going to just be on the, the standard path, that I was going to be free, right? So, I, But I saw myself in that moment in 2015 that I was still in the, in the cocoon. But I was beginning to like just tap on the, 
on the walls there. Yeah. And by 2020, July 2020, I was like, I already had like a limb out, like busted <laughs> through. And I'm just like, every moment of my day is like looking to like get that new, that new job and then leave and just like, boom, be free. Yeah. And there's so much energy in my body. And right when that happened, right at that time period, these butterflies started uh, showing up. Well, these cocoons and butterflies started showing up on my front door, like every morning for like, two weeks. And granted, I know my neighbors had like planted this. I think it's called um, milkweed, milk thistles. There's a certain plant that attracts monarch butterflies. Yeah. And um, so that I knew that sometimes these butterflies would show up, but they never showed up in cocoons on my door before. I lived that place for four years. And suddenly there's these, all these cocoons on, the, on my front door, and there's brand new ones, and then there's... Um, and then there's quite a few that are freshly hatched. So I'd open the door in the morning and there'd be a monarch butterfly that had just hatched out of the cocoon, but its wings were still contracted and had yet to take the leap and, and start flying. And this was another theme for me because I was using the phrase, take the leap. I was talking to a therapist at the time and we were talking about helping me through this career change, like this last push and like. I only had this particular therapist for like that summer. Like I was like, cause I wanted some support to like help me make this happen. And, and, and we were talking about taking the leap. Like that was what we were talking about. And I see these butterflies, um, oh, and Isaac Morehouse, who I ended up working for, he had recorded a podcast called taking the leap that summer as well. Um, anyway, <laughs> I just remember that, but I, I would see these butterflies just hatch out but they hadn't yet flown away and then some had and they were beginning to fly but there was like a, there was like a whole cycle of this happening for like two three weeks yeah. and then at the end of July like July 31st that's when I pitched Isaac and I everything changed and I was reading The Alchemist at the same time so The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho a beautiful book about the hero's journey and then like he's talking about omens and stuff yeah. And I remember I was reading that book at the same time as well. And I was like, huh, there's like these omens. And I'm like reading the, and the, and that book's about the hero's journey. And I'm like, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Seeing through the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you had your omen in Japan. Yeah. And then eventually you're like, this is my life's purpose. And well, you start like bringing this healing energy to people. Is there more to tell to get? I didn't just start. I just didn't know my purpose right then. Okay. I came home from Japan and I started, I made a clear intention that I was not working any job. I was not doing anything until I had a clear purpose statement because I knew I wanted to live a life where not only my personal life, but my career was in alignment with purpose. So I started reading all kinds of books. I went to a therapist and he helped me figure out, asked me questions to help me discover what my purpose was. And it was a path. I mean, for it took yeah. me about two months 
And then I was sitting in a meditation with amethyst, with one of those amethyst stones that I had gotten. And it was just like this clear purpose statement came into me and I wrote it down. And every time I read it still to this day, it gives me full body chills and it nothing makes me wake up more in the morning than thinking about fulfilling that and helping people every day by doing that. But it took a while, a couple months. I mean, if that's a while for you. It's not that long. No, no, it's really not. And then you started building your business. Then I started having psychic visions. Ah. Ah. (laughs) And um, doing energy work, healing, doing like three-day meditations and fasts. And again, this came into my field of my family coming in and trying to suppress that, make me get a nine-to-five job. And I said, Mm. fuck this. And I followed my intuition. I didn't live in a home for a while because my family tried to suppress me so much. I was living at home at the time. Right. And they told me, like, you either need to go to a hospital and have a psyche valve or, like, you can just, like, get out. So I packed a bag in the middle of the winter in Chicago right and I I had a mystical experience that for me was an omen and I knew I had to go on this journey had no money my family shut off my phone I had a little bit of cash from Japan and I live in like a rural area in uh, Chicagoland it's out pretty far so I started walking in the middle of the winter and for some reason it was warm it was like a beam of light was just shining on me and I felt warm and every time I got to a corner I would look up at the clouds and I kid you not the wind would change direction every time I got to a corner and I followed the wind and this is where the third eye thing really comes into effect as I'm walking really enjoying my time seeing the houses around me in a new way because I never walked over there I walked maybe It had to be about five to seven miles. And at mile three, four, I got an image of a, um, what is it called? The thing, it's like where Jesus was born. You know, it's like a a scene where there's like animals around. It's baby Jesus. What is that called? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Bethlehem? No. uh, Nativity scene. That's what it is. Oh, so I, I don't know. I got an image of that in my head, and I was like, hmm. So just kept following the wind, walking. It's like, hopefully I'll run into someone with a phone or something. And then I get to this last corner, and all this wind came from, like, ten different directions. And all these leaves landed on this one yard. And I was like, all right, I'm going to knock on this door. <laughs> Knocked on the door, this wonderful man named Vincent, bless you, Vincent, um, opened the door. He could tell I was distraught. I was like, I don't really know what's happening. Started talking to him, looked to my left, and he's got a huge nativity scene. And I was like, holy shit. Fuck. (laughs) Um, He gave me his phone, got a taxi, ended up getting to a friend's house, and everything was... A little better from there, but for me, that's that's what omens are. 
and following your intuition and trusting the universe and the elements in your body. So you were on this walk and you didn't know where you're going. No. Hmm. Just followed the wind. And then he followed the wind to Austin. Yeah. 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 People kept coming up to me and randomly talking about Austin. Yeah. After that. Um, well, only, that's a whole yeah. other, like, everyone's moving to Austin who's, like, we're going to change the world. That's yeah. a whole other vortex I'm sensing. Something's starting here. Yeah. So, let's talk about that. What's starting? That's what I wanted to talk about, actually, to, to finish up. Uh, you said that it's inevitable. You're like, oh, yeah. Humans will be liberated, I'm certain. Yeah. What do you see? I see a very charged reality where people become conscious and release their traumas from this life, past lives, their entire soul experiences, and we move into the age of Aquarius, which is the astrological switch that we just made at the end of this last year. Um, and we've seen time and time in human history, every time we switch into this age, um, people wake up and we start transforming. It's, it's the age of transformation and consciousness. Um, and Wait, when was the last time that happened? Oh, man, I don't know. Like, you, 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 uh, you can look. I don't know the oh. exact like years, but we... Because like, there was, like... Because I'm reading this book, The Sovereign Individual, and, and they're talking about... This is written in 1997, and they're talking about like predicting the future and how like they've called cryptocurrency like yeah. way before like 12 years before it started, and like how then this is a new age with we're ending the industrial age, entering the information age, right. and they're, but they're, but they're, the first part of the book's about how the medieval age closed out, yeah, and the, the, the fall of the church as this authority figure, and they're saying. That now we're, and that was like 500 years ago, and now we're in a similar stage of closing out 500 years of the nation state. Yeah. And the individual will, will arise. But there's that. Uh, so I don't know how that lines up with Aquarius, but. <laughs> right, so there's that, there's that a way to view it, and then there's the elemental astrological way to view it, which is we were in an earth sign before this last year. So we were building everything on the ground, cars, trains, working on very human things, pills for your body, working on healing through the body and putting things into your body. And now we're switching into an air sign. And you can see it already. We're trying to go to Mars. <laughs> we're going into the air. We're now getting into consciousness and new healing modalities. We're going to start like probably building higher up and in, in, um, worrying less about earthly things and more about the higher chakras like the third eye, the throat chakra and the crown chakra, your connection to the divine and with that means integrating the trauma Yeah, because that's how I see it, it's fundamental for our species to evolve, Right. just from a just practical standpoint because we're We've been conditioned since kids from our parents and teachers and priests and professors and policemen that authority is 
has the final say. And that authority is necessary for humans to be live in orderly fashion. Um, without the authority, you have chaos, right? Mm. And that's that notion alone is based on the trauma. It's based on the, the fact that your mind was not allowed to think independently. Like going back to Brandon's twenty-four questions. Yeah. Was your mind one of those questions? Like was something along the lines of was your mind, you know, celebrated and mm. and um, were you given the chance to, to think independently? Yeah. So the fact that there's just this deference to authority. That's what humans need to overcome. So I think there's an integration there potentially with what you're talking about, which sounds more ethereal maybe. When you talk about chakras or higher consciousness, third eye, it's like, okay, what does that mean in practical terms? And I'm like, again, let's, let's, uh, uh, let's be curious about words and like, like figure out what is the common ground there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, as we become more, Tuned to our consciousness, our inner landscape, um, you know, kind of operating in that sort of prefrontal cortex area more, and like that's when you start looking at the soul and the self more consciously, and then you become become whole and healed. I would say a more or a less ethereal way that I view it from. A more 3D perspective is the values levels and the natural way we shift through consciousness. So a huge amount of the population is what um, it's Claire's Graves works. Uh, her work it's called. What's her name? Claire's Graves. Okay. It's values. It's called values, values levels. And most of society is in values level four, which is obey authority. Yep. Religion, family. Um, working a nine-to-five job, not at really asking a lot of questions. You're more in a group-think mentality, yep. collective, and making that shift from values level four to values level five, which is the entrepreneurial mindset of freedom, independence, making your own money, um, stepping out of the groupthink and into individuality, and having so much individual self-authority that you no longer seek it externally yep and in order to do that you need to close out values level one two three and four and moving from four to five is the as as of now the most difficult shift to make because you kind of have to throw away everything you know and take that leap per se that's what i did that's what you did four to five is caterpillar to butterfly yes because yes. ever since then, I've felt that, by the way, yeah. where I was working in, you know, a system and then it was predictable, it was secure, but it wasn't free. It wasn't aligned with who yeah. I was in individuality. And then I took the leap and I was flying and I felt like I've been flying. Like I literally feel differently ever since I've left the security, so to speak. Of, of that values level yes. four system of the job and then like moving towards an, a very entrepreneurial company I still have I don't even, I don't even call what I do a job like I, I bring a service to another entrepreneur yeah and it's very it's very it's all based in freedom and value creation it's not based on hours yep at all um 
so it's into that next phase. I feel like I'm in, in that five level. So what's one, two, and three? So one is your basic primal instincts. It's like what you're in as a baby until age seven. Um, it's there's you're worried about eating food, surviving, uh, basic fight or flight, fleeing if you need to. There's three F's that rule values level one, which are fleeing, <laughs> um, food, and fucking. So it's like really basic primal instincts. Okay. Um, nobody's really in values level one unless you are a baby. And then... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Baby's fucking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> um, that's more... Yeah, I get you. Yeah. It's just like... It's, it's Im- imperfect categorization. Yeah. Um, it, gets the, it gets the gist. I think it fits in the Fs. <laughs> Someone just wanted to make some kind of easy way to remember it. But it's more of like, for me, like, sex energy is the same as creative life force energy. So it's, for yeah. me, that's the representation. It's just like you're sitting in life force energy you're kind of like a sponge absorbing everything sure okay um and then values level two is tradition ritual like these are the best way to describe this is someone that still lives in a tribe let's say the most pure values level two that you could find are like an untouched tribe perhaps somewhere in brazil or somewhere in the amazon and they believe everything everything is ritual and tradition um japan is very much values level two yeah um and then values level three is fuck that fuck tradition fuck ritual i'm gonna be my own person um i know better than everything i learned in values level two i'm going to be different from my family different from the things that i learned and that's where you have that rebellious teenager um a lot of us have this and the sad thing is that this is one of the most repressed values levels in society and therefore there's not many safe ways to move through this values level shift unless you have a very conscious family or environment around you so people will move through they'll jump from two to four and repress three and that's when you see like Mm -hmm. your 40 50 year olds the classic example is like a man who just uh, he cheats on his wife and he goes and buys a sports car because he naturally your brain wants to move through the values levels. So if you repress it, then you'll have that midlife crisis. So a lot of that's like sexual exploration or just yep. doing something that you're not supposed to. Right. And, and so that, that's in rebelliousness to number stage two. Yes. Yeah. Level two, which is saying well, you must do this based on the, the tribe's traditions and mores. And then three would be the opposite. Yeah. So any, so you're saying in the culture right now, there's just not a healthy way to move through three. Yeah. What would be a healthy way to move through three? I would say... Because it doesn't seem like rebelliousness on its face is healthy. Well, I would say it's healthy if it's framed in the right way. Okay. You know, like if you're if you start dressing really differently than everyone around you, and your parent comes in and says, "Hey, I love how you're different." Sure. Right. That would be a really healthy way to move through it. Being there's not a tension, like there's not a pushback against two. Exactly, and that comes from your parents projecting their own repression of three onto you. Because a lot of us have parents who are repressing three, so they 
Oh, yeah, man, so much fucked up shit. Okay. I know. <laughs> and then the the shift from three to four, the indicator is you start feeling guilty for the things that you're doing. So maybe you're lying to your family, and then this feeling of like, oh my god, I, I probably shouldn't lie. Um, this isn't good or whatever. That's the shift into four, into the system, into society into security into obeying authority having a nine-to-five job a really systematic life and that's where most people stay a lot of people and there's, okay yeah and there's six and seven right yeah there's five six and seven and there's eight too and then there's probably more but nobody's really okay. discovered that well well i just want to touch on the guilt thing because yeah. i remember you talked about this before with me and I would say and maybe this isn't like five or level five or six is when you're not even engaging in the guilt framework mm. so, so that would be repressing four well let me make the case here we're like I, I don't feel guilty because I've, I've reframed guilt as not valid experience because it's based on a paradigm of right versus wrong and bad versus good and like shoulds and shouldn'ts and so that in a sense that's I guess that's for like because it's saying you, you sh- this is the system says you should do this mm. and this is right and wrong and I think transcending that is saying what are my needs yeah and that's values level 7 that's 7 okay well my need I have a need to respect other people for example I need, need to respect myself and part of, and another need I have is to respect others. Yeah. Where it's not do this thing that's the right thing. Yeah. Because that's the right thing, and I'm being a good person. Yeah. Right. So that's inauthentic. That's role playing, and that's obedience to a moral. That's why exactly. I don't like moral. I don't like morality. Yeah. The morality is like, yeah, it's the lower stage. The transcending morality is seeing what are the needs I have, and yeah. one of those needs is like respecting other people. Right. Yeah. Including other people in my calculations, not as an obligatory thing, but right. as something that's in my intrinsic self-interest. So that would be a values level six uh, value, the okay. wanting to respect other people and like the group energy and how everyone feels there. That's values level six, and then values level seven is being able to see the dichotomy and just kind of sit in the no dichotomy and seeing all of it and still respecting the group thing okay wait respecting group think yeah like values level seven is seeing all the other values levels and be able being able to embody thinking that way but not being connected kind of being having compassion for where they're at exactly not judging it yeah yeah so this this is real so this aligns i mean i don't think i've talked about this in the show at all but like the integral theory is colors of of red amber orange green teal stages of development yeah it's very analogous so like the teal is the highest level of like autonomous compassionate non-violent non-violent communication oriented compassionate um needs-based thinking um, and, and respect for individuals. Um, and that's where we need to get as humans. 
and it's like the green stage is just below that, which is where you see a lot of this sort of leftism of like inclusion. And let's think about the group, but it's actually sacrificing yeah. other needs. Anyway, <clears throat> bigger picture point is just humans are evolving. Yes, exactly. And like, let's keep going and we can get towards, towards teal, towards stage seven, towards liberation, towards peace, towards harmony. The interesting thing is what the colors that you're saying totally align with chakra colors. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that makes sense. Yeah. Like red is the lowest. It's like complete authoritarian, like root chakra, primal. Right. Yeah. There's a reason red is like stop sign. It's like it's jarring, right? Yeah. Versus. Or green teal, it's like welcoming, yeah, yeah. trusting, nonviolent communication. Yeah, yeah so trust yeah. is a big part of teal. Yeah, yeah, and that's in the heart. The trust is something yeah. that comes from the heart, which is green. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to point this out with the values levels, but we still kind of have that in the in the sphere here. If you are someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of hope or is misunderstanding of or maybe it's trying to understand the way society is and um, just are confused by the way things are right now, if you can view it from the values level and see that there's just a ton of values level five people controlling values level four people, and they're both unconscious. And the shift into consciousness. There's a conscious side and there's an unconscious side to all values levels. And when value level fives turn into consciousness and they start caring about how they're making money and how they're getting freedom, it liberates floors, which is what most of the world is living in right now. I love it. Yeah. Rather than valuing money in abundance. I was just thinking about this this morning, like, People talk about abundance mindset, right? Yeah. And like, let's accumulate wealth. I'm like, I was thinking about, be sure that as you seek to cultivate your abundance mindset, that the abundance is meaningful. Yes, yeah, I would say. Right? Very important. This is where you get, yeah, these, these billionaires, right? I'm a billionaire and I don't have any values. I don't have any meaning. I don't have any interpersonal Wealth. Uh, oh my God, this book over there called The Last Safe Investment, which is about the last safe, in, the last safe investment is yourself. And like the subtitle of that book is, is something like uh, spending now so that you can create true wealth forever. And true wealth capital T W true wealth. They define in that book as just pure, like the flourishing happiness, all areas of your life flourishing, not simply having financial security, which is a typical way we think about financial investment. Let me compartmentalize and get my money set for, I'll be secure when I'm 65. And then it's like at the expense of other areas of life. And when they take this a holistic perspective, and it's about creating true wealth, where you have rich relationships, you have purpose, you have health, yeah. you have abundance in 
in, in your relationships and um, quality and quantity and you have invested in yourself invested in your relationships invested in your health invested in you like spending they talk about systematic spending spending intentionally rather than being scarce and saving your money for retirement like investing that money towards greater like personal development for example and like that has all these ripple effects and then you're creating true wealth so that's what you're getting at with like these level fives yeah integrating the meaning and purpose and trust and wholeness into their entrepreneurial endeavors. So it's not just I'm making money. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm financially free. Yay. Yeah. But you don't have self-esteem. You're like, you don't have, you're, you're cut off from yourself. You don't get relationships that that's where we want to be going towards. Right. We want the fives to shift into six because they have all this money and we want them to shift into how can I use this money to make people more conscious in the way they want to be conscious, not in an authoritarian yeah. type of way? Because I think there's danger in, like, this is what consciousness is, and this oh, is how you... Yeah, no, it's, like, how the person wants to evolve. I think that's really important. And they need to close out values level three, because a lot of people are three inside of five. So they're just, like... Yeah, so you said I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an open book on this podcast. Um, usually. But you're conscious. I, I'm, you're conscious. I'm becoming, I'm becoming more conscious. Like, yeah. huh, what is, what's, what's not resolved in three? Um, yep. And then you make more money. And I will say, the second you close out three, it's like, oh, <laughs> boom, yeah. all this money, all your manifestations start happening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that I had a pretty adventurous 20, like, uh, period of my life in my 20s, but I'm like, but did you the, guilt yourself while you did it? I don't think guilt, but I think I've, I've held back. Mm-hmm. That's been a way people have described me as well sometimes. And it's like the full throttle, like rebellious spirit at least, yeah. right? The full throttle, like, I don't go dress like, like when you're talking about dressing differently, I was like, huh, how could I dress differently right now? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like maybe that would be healthy for me to like, Start expanding some of these just small ways. Um, so yeah, repression is no good. No, I would say. <sighs> I would agree with wow. that statement. We covered some territory in this podcast. We did. Lots. Uh, this is powerful. I knew this was going to be a powerful show. Yeah, I feel a lot of energy. My heart is very open. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So, how do people get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Because you work with people yep. um, anywhere in the world or in person. Yep. So I'm recommending you on this show. So, I only work with max three clients at a time. And oh. uh, that is because I give my full energy and concentration for a full spiritual transformation. So, the best way to get in contact with me is through my website, super47.org. S-U-P-E-R 47 dot O-R-G um, and sending me an email on the contact me link or finding me on Facebook. It's the same name on Facebook or my Instagram, same name. And Super 47. Super 47. Super fourth chakra is the heart. Seventh is the crown. And my goal in working with people is connecting their heart and their crown so that they can be congruent in manifesting their heart's desires. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I work with people for a minimum of five weeks so that we can clear like full trauma and integrate multiple inner children so that people can feel true liberation and lightness in their energetic body and their physical body. Love it. Yeah. Or you can get a psychic reading. That's the only uh, thing I do outside of the um, full spiritual transformations are psychic readings or one-off neurolinguistics programming um, sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely recommend all of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for moving to Austin. Yeah. <laughs> May I add one more thing? Of course. So um, another way that you can get involved with my mission and what I'm doing in life is through the nonprofit that I run with my friends, which is called Go Broken to Beautiful. And we're on a mission to offer life coaching services and all of the things that specifically women right now coming out of jail and prison need to transition out so that they can start their own businesses and live a life where they are not held captive by the experience that they had in jail or prison and getting there. So you can get involved with us. We just got approved by the IRS officially as a nonprofit, and we're taking donations now and looking for board members, putting out there that I'm looking for an accountant <laughs> specifically right now. So if that, if that um, tickles your fancy, please contact me. Go Broken to Beautiful. What is it called? It's Go Broke. Go Broken to Beautiful for women. And oh, into. Go yeah. Broke into Beautiful. Go, I love that. Go broken to beautiful, but I like what you oh. said. <laughs> Similar. Yeah, I broken. like that. Go broken to beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Go I'll broken. link to all this. We'll make sure it's all linked properly in the show notes. Uh, uh, forgive me. I was just triggered when you, when you mentioned the IRS. I was like, oh, IRS, <laughs> IRS. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> They're all stuck in what stage? <laughs> Two. Yeah. <sighs> God. Well, that's the, how, do I, how do I have compassion for those humans who are in the IRS? For sure. <sighs> Just trying to like do the like follow the rules every day. Yeah. <sighs> and they you probably need to all got physically hurt as kids. A lot of them, yeah, or emotionally. Um, that's a beautiful mission, though. With these women. Um, another another tragic system is those jails. It's not restoring anyone to be in these cages, you know. Yeah. And they they might do something that um, doesn't meet needs, right? And, uh, disrespects somebody else and hurts somebody else and doesn't meet the need for respect of others. And in this paradigm that cultures in it's based on this punishment and to put people in cages to what teach them a lesson so they won't do it again and not really um, teach them while but it's in not there. teaching anything <laughs> yeah. it's just saying it's just reenacting the trauma that they experienced as a kid of um, not any restoration but just um, do as I say do as I say you'll, you'll, you'll pay um, if you don't obey yeah. so that's the reenactment of the trauma with these um, domination prisons. And so that's what we need to um, evolve as well over time 
as we transcend into these stages of development. But in the meantime, let's work with the people who are coming out and restore them. Yeah. Shift. Like, so they can shift as individuals. Yeah. Shift from three to four to five. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. I imagine a lot of people you're working with just come out feeling, and at first, like just feeling deflated. Completely. I don't have a chance. I'm, I'm, my, my, my record is destroyed. I have a chance to, to have a normal life. Exactly. To, to create professional opportunities. And the beautiful thing is most of these women that I've worked with, when they go through the course and they learn the things that they do, what they really want to do is go give back to the other women that are yeah. still in there. Every person I've worked with, that's what they want to do. I had a little vision just now. I was like, I'm like re-listening to this podcast in like 30 years. Yeah. And just like smile because we made so much progress. Me too. Like fucking liberated. Yeah. Liber- liberated with the best. Why not? In 30 years. The healthy majority of this planet is liberated. 100%. I'm very certain. All my energy is going towards that quantum possibility. <laughs> well, that's 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 the power we with manifestation stuff. Yeah, it's like I've been thinking about. It, it's like any moment that you're spent like upset about the the current reality. Not that you can't be feel your feelings, but like if you spend time talking about how the things are problematic. Mm-hmm. If that's your focus, what's the opportunity cost? You could be spending mm-hmm. 15 minutes in meditation manifesting the liberated future exactly. for yourself yeah. and your immediate people around you. Mm-hmm. Like you, as an individual, and that's what this podcast is about, you are empowered to actually create the future. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Yeah. Like contribute to this evolution. You, like all that we have in this planet are individuals. Each person can spend the time creating that burning desire in their mind for what they want. Yeah. So, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Joel. So special. And let's, let's build a peaceful, harmonious world and yeah. enjoy doing it. Yep. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs>